Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. friends welcome to the speaking in church podcast i'm josie and i'm spencer and today we are accompanied by the amazing caitlin martin she is um a graduate of pacific university sorry about it Uh, and she graduated her degree in psychology and she has worked in the mental health field she's also an incredible advocate and activist on behalf of people everywhere um she is very passionate about mental health and body positivity and she's one of my best friends so here we go welcome to the podcast Caitlin (laughs) thank you I'm so excited to be here yeah today we are uh talking about sex baby (laughs) what up and yeah, this is a funny topic uh for all of us I think (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I mean, the first thing we always ask our guests is to uh, tell us their life story, their testimony, their um, whatever else people call it. I should, like, have a list, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, well, as far as my faith background, um, I grew up Christian, probably, you know, right about as young as you can, probably gave my life to the Lord, or whatever you like to call it, probably when I was like four, um, super religious grandmother, type of grandmother that wants you to sit on her bed and like pray for hours, Um, you know, the type of grandmother that doesn't let you watch Rugrats because Angelica has a spirit of rebellion, and um, (laughs) wow, that's a little bit more extreme than I'm used to, yeah, um, and you get you know, she loved the word rebuke. So I grew up Christian um, from an early age, but fortunately was brought up with my mom, um, a single mom that didn't really instill 
um, any of that sort of rigidity. So she was more spiritual. I grew up in a church that started out in a house and it was pretty um, charismatic. So I had some, you know, experiences with the Holy Spirit pretty early on and just a very community family-based church. Uh, remember playing with kids like in the basement of the house we we uh, met at and our worship leader used to do worship barefoot. So I just grew up in a very welcoming, warm environment in that regard. And then I moved to Sacramento and went to the church that my aunt and her family was already attending where I would go for many years to come and meet my first boyfriend and some of my best friends. Um, that church later turned out to be um, a cult and then kind of took a break from church after that, obviously. Went to a couple more churches um, and then made the decision to go to APU. And I feel like that's when my relationship with God became more you know, diving into the Bible. I didn't read the Bible much growing up since my mom had a lot of spiritual trauma growing up in a cult. So my relationship with God kind of changed once I was at APU. It was a lot of experiential before and I had, you know, encountered the Holy Spirit and had a close relationship with God, but I feel like I didn't really, you know, start to learn about the person of Jesus and like who he was till I studied abroad in South Africa. So, and now after graduating, my walk with God has, you know, shifted a lot. And I've been through a lot of reconstruction as I feel most everyone that went to APU has. And I kind of just have a little bit of wariness uh, with the church in my experience as being a um, queer LGBTQ woman and my experiences coming out. Um, so that's just a little bit of my background. Yeah. Um, and I, hmm, I forgot what I was going to say, but anyways, <laughs> um, let's, I'm sure, li listen, I'm as sexually positive as the next person, but talking about sex is still so uncomfy, <laughs> um, which is fine. It's not for me. <laughs> it's weird because I'm very open about sex. I don't really care. I mean, I make fun. I mean, when people come over and they're like, oh, do you want to see the sex toys we have? Sure, fine, whatever. That, no, no skin off my back. Uh, something about recording it is different, but also, fuck it, not really, right? <laughs> Caitlin, are you, uh, you're married. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Okay. So we're three married women. Three we can talk women. about sex openly. We are all sex positive. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably my hesitation is that I feel like mm, now that I'm married, I can record a podcast on sex. I should be able to talk about sex, whether or not I'm married. Okay. Uh, right. But that's like probably my whole mentality. Well, I think that's some purity culture sneaking in and uh, we're going to break that. So 
Um, for y'all that have listened to the podcast, you know, in the past, we did a episode about purity culture. If you haven't listened to it, it might be good to pause this episode and listen to it because I think that is a good foundation for some of the stuff we'll talk about, especially as three married women who grew up in the Christian context that has a lot of impact on the way, at least for me. And I know Josie, I'm not so sure about Caitlin, but that's really greatly impacted the way that we view sex and how our relationship with sex has been. So uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to that, I hope you listen to that one. Yeah. And I mean, our walk, Spencer and I, our walk with sex and demystifying purity culture um, is different because we are in straight relationships marriages yes. and Caitlin your walk is probably completely different than ours so could you tell us a little bit about that oh yeah for sure do the faith background story and then the coming out story so yeah I mean my whole journey of reclaiming my sexuality can't be talked about without you know also coming to terms with you know, being a gay woman and everything that that looked like and all of the pressures at APU and the ways in which I didn't fully own my story while I was there. You know, I wasn't fully out to everyone when I was at APU. So, you know, there's this idea in the church when homosexuality, which I don't even like that word because of the connotations um, that if you are gay, you can have those desires, but you can't act out on those. So I feel like the shame that is instilled by the church when it comes to sex, if you're gay talking about sex, there's like this whole other layer of shame that comes into play. So for me, you know, my coming out story was kind of layered of like, first time I dated a woman, first time I fell in love with a woman, you know, first time I was, you know, sexually active with a woman, kind of layered and within that story, also, you know, grappling with my identity of like, maybe I want to marry a man and like, we could go lead missions like across the world, like, it's very layered. So, um, But yeah, so there's this whole coming to terms with your sexuality just as a woman and just even being able to, you know, have meaningful sexual experiences with all the shame. But then there's this whole other layer if you are gay and you've been in the church and you've heard the stories of... um, praying the gay way and you've heard the testimonies up on the stage of you know I was gay and I'm not anymore and just the types of messages that are given to you and um, I started dating my wife senior year at APU and just the discomfort I felt in standing in chapel next to her and knowing that we didn't have the freedom to hold each other's hands as safely as say like a straight couple on campus would whereas even that might be looked down on yeah APU was um 
not the safest space for, you know, the gays because APU did not like the gays. Uh, and after we left, there was this whole debacle on them taking away the clause that said that kids could not be in gay relationships or they would get in trouble. And then all the rich white people that gives APU money uh, got mad. So APU said, never mind. Um, and I don't know really what happened after that. I don't know if they retracted again. Um, but all that to say, AP was not the safest of spaces. And yeah, I can imagine that fostering your faith in that environment, especially because AP was a Christian school, fostering your faith in that environment was probably super uncomfortable and probably, like you said, is what led to your deconstruction, I would assume. Yeah, I think that was definitely part of it. I think as you start to delve into all of the systems of oppression that are in place in America that have been held up um, so much by religion. I think that as you become more attuned to the person who, of who Jesus was um, and you can't separate that person from social justice and for advocating for the marginalized, I think that's probably where my deconstruction began and just how all of this overlaps um, and the intersectionality of, of all our identities and all the identities that have been marginalized or pushed away from the church, you know? So it was so many different layers and experiences. It was going on a mission tr missions trip to Mongolia apart from APU and hearing the leaders of the church there that we were serving turn away people that were, you know, hungry and unhoused, um, just grappling with things like that. So I think that definitely led to a part of my deconstruction and also just being in relationship with so many people that I became close to at APU and having those conversations with them also and a big part of my deconstruction was probably um, my mental health journey as I got older and started you know dealing with depression and a myriad of other things just thinking about how the church uh, you know handles mental illness and things like that so there's a lot of different things yeah, I am. Um, I'm wondering what you think off, you know, the cuff. What do you think the church can do to kind of get rid itself of like the sexual shame? And I know getting rid of purity culture is like the overarching theme, but like what are some specific things that you think could be done to, you know, make sex not such a big fucking deal? <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good point, too, is that sex is such a big fucking deal in the church. And once you start having it, I mean, yeah, sex is great. It's important. It's, you know, crucial for intimacy. But yeah, it doesn't have to be as big of a deal as the church makes it out to be. Um, you know, being gay doesn't have to be as big of a deal as the church makes it out to be. 
even though that's an integral part of my identity, that's not the only part of my identity. So I think, you know, one of the biggest things that churches can do is take away the conversations that incite that shame, you know, take away the conversations of making like purity packs or taking away the conversations in youth group where you're taught that, you know, masturbation is an abomination and things like that, taking away the conversations of, you know, all of the expectations of waiting until you're married to have sex. And I think it's also important to think about how your leadership is diversified. I mean, something my wife and I talk about a lot is a church might be willing to take our tithing and take our money, but can we serve there? I mean, I don't really want to be a member of your body if I'm not able to use my voice, if I'm not being, if I'm not able to use my gifts. I mean, something I talk about a lot is that I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated. So just that that's represented, um, in your staff and just that, you know, you can, you have that representation there. I mean, I can't really think of any church I've ever grown up in or gone to where I got to look at a gay female couple that was, you know, serving the body or like following God. So I think, I think the conversations that incite shame need to be taken away. And I think more representation needs to be had. And I can just think back on my life of like so many different conversations that were had um, that made me feel like, you know, women aren't as sexual of beings as men are, or, you know, women's pleasure can't be prioritized or, you know, just all of these things that you need to be ashamed of instead of that could be celebrated as like part of God's creation and who we were made to be like in relationship with each other. Yeah, you should come to our church. We got a bunch of gay people serving. Um, <laughs> um, so that's just my plug for you to move back to SoCal. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> I miss you. Um, I think it's so funny that a lot of the church discrimination that happens boils down to sex. Like, mm, you're gay and we don't like the sex you have, so you can't serve here. Or... Um, you're a whore for having sex before marriage, so you're not welcome here. Like, it's all just, why are Christians so fucking obsessed with sex, you know? Like, everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, it's just hilarious to me to have that realization of even, like, Jezebel. Oh, don't be a Jezebel because she was a whore, and she's going to end the world or whatever. And I'm like because she had sex she's gonna end the world because she had sex hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm sure you've heard the idea um that's talked about where the beauty industry or diet culture you know a lot of it exists so that women have to be put in a box and 
our, you know, flames need to be dimmed. Like we can't rise to the greatest of our potential or be as powerful because, you know, society is always telling us how we need to look or how we need to act. And here's all the products you need to buy to be worthy. Um, so I was just thinking about how the conversation around sex and relationships in the church, like how much of that, a dis- how much of a distraction that could be from, you know, your actual relationship with God and like your worthiness and holiness in the eyes of God and like your purpose. Um, Cause I don't know. I think what shame does is it, it isolates and it shuts you off and you're not going to be able to have that full relationship with God if you're just living in shame that the church so often perpetuates. Yeah, and I um I think I have a unique experience being um being a fat woman, you get these two different viewpoints because growing up in the church, I had bigger breasts and than my peers and so I felt like my body was hypersexualized because of purity culture, because I was constantly worried about cleavage or the kinds of swimsuits I wore. Because even like if me and another girl bought the same one piece swimsuit, like plain black Speedo brand, like as simple as it gets, I just felt like I was revealing more because of the way my body was, even though everything is covered proportionately, if that makes sense. And I felt Mm -hmm. like the church really feeds into that because of the way my body is made. But then on the flip side, you get society saying that fat women can't be sexy. And so it's this weird, I I, for a long time, I lived in this weird zone of like, my body is too sexy because of the way it's made. I have bigger breasts and I need to hide them. But then at the same time, like I can't fit into trendy clothes and I can't be portrayed as sexy because society thinks fat people cannot be sexy and obviously now in 2021 like there is much more acceptance for fat women and people are seeing them that way but still the overarching thing of just being like well because you're fat you're not sexy or you're undesirable and so it's just a weird balance to exist in yeah it's also like a christian principle like mm, you have to say you have to stay nice and trim for your husband because otherwise he's gonna leave you and he's gonna be justified in doing so because you're not hot right yeah i agree i agree or you know if you're being being a fat woman is also fetishized and yes there's there's so much that goes into this like so many layers and diet culture, and white supremacy, and ableism. I mean, there's so much that goes into this. And even just like trying to, I was having a conversation with somebody very close to me a few months ago talking about how hard it was to date as a fat woman, because when you meet, especially like when you meet a man, and he is like into you, and he thinks you're sexy and beautiful, you walk this fine line of like, okay, is this a fetish or do you just truly not care what women's bodies look like? And they asked me, they're like, they're like, well, like, how do you know that your husband just isn't obsessed with fat women? Like, how do you know that it's not a fetish for him? And I was like, because if I weighed a hundred pounds less, like he would still love me the same as if I looked the way I do. 
And I think that's why it's different because he didn't just date fat women. He dated every shape of woman. And so it, it was like, okay, yeah, like I know this isn't a weird thing versus I have been on dates, especially dates with skinny men that um, took me out at nighttime, but would never show their face in the light of day. Like huge red flag, huge, huge, huge red flag of, yeah, like we can, especially like I, at the time, you know, APU, I met my husband on Tinder. So I did a lot of online dating And so I would meet these men and they would, you know, they wouldn't be from APU. So if we went out to dinner that was near campus, it was no sweat off their back. But if we went somewhere closer to where they lived, like it was very strategic of where we went, what time we went there, who we were around. And like, it's just those things that like I've had to live with. And it's just an added struggle of like being a woman, especially being a fat woman that nobody talks about. Because again, you constantly walk this fine line of, okay, cool. Do you just appreciate women's bodies or are you kind of creepy? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, it's like a token, right? It's like another, yes. uh, I've had sex with a fat woman, so I can add that to my yes. little badge yes. or whatever that you have. I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, um, and, and just even going into that of when my husband and I started to get serious and you know, I was meeting his friends and family and having this insecurity of being the fattest person in the room. And Mm. my husband grew up in Orange County in a very white neighborhood and just had a pretty well-off life. And his friends and family are beautiful people. And so the insecurity of being like, okay, yeah, like, and I've had judgments from some of his friends and family. and, um, And we've worked through that of realizing that just because I'm fat doesn't mean I'm not good enough. It doesn't mean I'm unhealthy. It doesn't mean that I'm not sexy or desirable doesn't mean I'm not going to be a good wife. Like so many layers to work through adding onto my own layers of like purity culture to work through. Like, God, it was hell for a long time. Yeah. This idea to be desirable or attractive as a fat woman, if someone believes that, then it must be a fetish. Mm -hmm. Like that's just infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only experience I have like into the two of yours is being a Latina in the white evangelical church and being, you know, arrogant. I like to say that I'm arrogant. Um, so like, oh, wow, you're spicy. Or it was really prevalent, actually, when spicy. I went to Ireland. And I mean, I'm from LA and Orange County area. So there's beautiful people around here, right? I don't pretend to be anything close in LA 10, right? And I don't give a shit. I don't care about people's expectations. But I'm not used to like people stopping me in the club or whatever, right? Like a lot of, I don't go to clubs, but I went to a club in Ireland just for shits and giggles. And I was wearing this like yellow jumpsuit that was like slouchy with like a jean jacket and my Mexican chanclas. So obviously I was real prepared to go to a club where all these Irish women were wearing their super high heels and tight dresses. And it was really cold outside and they did not have a jacket on. I was very confused. (laughs) And it was my only experience of being approached by like 
men that I hadn't, like, I didn't know, like, in the club, like, to the point where I was a little bit too intoxicated, and some guy was trying to lead me away from my friends, and it wasn't, like, he was just leading me to, like, the upstairs smoking area so we could smoke a cigarette. Oops. Um, (laughs) But, like... I just, after the fact, I was like, that has never happened to me before. But it was all because I was, I did, I obviously don't look very Irish and I look a little, a little ethnic. So I was like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? I'm never going to experience this ever again in my life. It was so funny. Yeah. And, but then growing up in the church is like, especially in the Hispanic church, having that stereotype, I feel like purity culture is really shoved down your throat. Maybe a little too much because you have to minimize yourself even more so as a woman because you're already seen in American society as like this really sexual being and it yeah well and that even highlights like cultural differences because I remember when I went to South Africa um our our leader she had been there before and I think that was her third go-around when she went and I remember her telling me, she's like, she's like, so you're going to have a problem that you don't experience in the United States and other girls on our team aren't going to experience because you're a fat woman. And oh. in Africa, that's a status symbol because it means you have money and you're mm-hmm. white. Whoa, I didn't know that. And so we would go, she was also, she's also plus size. So her and I, there was a, her and I plus size women, two other women, um, and then two men. And yeah, like the other women also like got looks just because they could tell that they're American. One of the women on our team um, was Asian. So, you know, they were like, oh, okay, but this, my leader and I, like, I have never had a, like exactly what Josie said. I've never had a man like try to follow us down, like in the shopping mall to like try and talk to us. And mm-hmm. it just kind of like, it was one of those things, like at the time I was 19 and I was kind of creeped out. And then now I'm like, oh, what an ego boost because somebody thought I was hot. And it just, like, is that little thing in your head realizing, like, everything in society is made up about who is sexy and who is not. Because on the other side of the world, people think I'm hot. But here, people are like, you're gross. And I just, like, constantly, like, have to remind myself of, like, it truly is one of those things of, like, anywhere you go, like, the standard is different. So why do I hold myself to this standard here? Because it's all made up. Like, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember going to South Africa and packing and my mom was like, well, you can't bring shorts because they're like, the legs are the breasts that they are here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I did not bring any makeup to South Africa. Like I was like, why would I need like, I'm going to study abroad. Like, I'm going to immerse myself in the culture and, like, focus on my education. Why would I bring makeup? Like, why would I bring a hair straightener and all the girls in my cohort, you know, brought so many clothes? And I was, I remember being praised for just, you know, being who I was and not caring what other people thought. I was like, that's not really it. I just didn't know that I would need my makeup. Like, and then it's like that, it's like that weird, like, they're like, oh my gosh, like, you're so brave. And you're like, no, I was just unprepared. Oh my God. I have to tell this story. It's so, so at APU, there's this thing called alpha leaders. And when you're an alpha leader at APU back in the day, 
you would go on this thing called Bridges, where mm-hmm. you would go to the Tenderloin in San Francisco, which is, they, like, qualified as being, like, the Skid Road, like, L.A., San Francisco, you know? So we were staying, I think it was at a YWAM base, Youth with a Mission, for those of you who don't know. And so we were sleeping there, but they were like, you're not going to take a shower and you're not going to wear makeup. Like, that's the, the challenge, right? No showers, no makeup. And not taking a shower for a week is, like, uncomfy, but also not, like, that gross. It's not like we're running marathons every day or whatever. And I remember one night they separated the boys and the girls as they do. And they sat the women around and they're like passing around a mirror and telling us that we're so beautiful that they appreciate the sacrifice of us not wearing makeup for a week. And it was a spiritual practice and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I didn't wear makeup in college at all. I had really bad cystic acne, so makeup would make it worse, but also makeup is expensive and I didn't give a shit, right? And I, that people were talking, like sharing like things and emotions and stuff. And when it came my turn to speak, I was like, honestly, I'm really upset that we're having this conversation because the boys are not talking about how beautiful they are. And they're, we're serving houseless people. And you're concerned about not wearing makeup. And I got mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble for that <laughs> because I was insensitive to people not wearing makeup for a week. It was hilarious why i was an alpha leader i don't fucking know but here we are (laughs) you know what women that don't get in trouble don't change the world so amen and yeah there's all these ideas of what being sexy means and that all of that just god like goes into gender norms and all of that and I think that, um, like for me personally, one thing that, that has really like been a struggle and now like something that I carried into my marriage that I didn't know I was going to carry is this like self-doubt of like, am I actually like, am I sexy? And because like, I want to feel it for myself because like just recognizing that I'm a woman and I'm a sexual being and that's not sinful or shameful. Like that's how God designed us is to be it to be sexual beings and to be intimate like that's not wrong and that's something that like which makes no sense because my husband and I had sex before we got married but something about being married like this wall came up and I don't know why maybe it's the reality of we're married like it's him and like it's it's us against the world for the rest of our lives and that sets in of like kind of what Josie touched on earlier of like well, you know, you have to like keep it spicy for your husband. You got to keep up this like facade like you because you don't want him looking somewhere else. And, um, you know, and also just put it in context, my husband was a virgin when I met him. So I'm truly, I'm truly it. And I- You are a whore for losing his virginity before (laughs) marriage. Also though, like that was something- like truth be told that's something that we had to work through because I had so much shame because of purity culture telling me like like it's one of those things that you like after I lost my virginity I was like I was like "Eh, like no I'm not gonna marry somebody that's a virgin you know and then meeting him and falling in love and finding out he was a virgin like all of a sudden I had all this guilt of like oh my god like purity culture was right like he waited for me and I'm like this whore 
And truth be told, my husband's like, listen, like, I don't want to like burst your bubble, but it just didn't happen. It's not that hey. I was Yes, Jeff, you. yes, Jeff. Um, but just like working through this and like having these conversations with him of like, like, do you want me? Like, am I desirable? And him constantly having to be like, I don't know why you question this because have I ever done something that would make you feel this way? And I'm like, no, you haven't. But for years, I've heard these messages that now here I am, I'm, we're almost at a year. We've been married, what, 10 months now. And I'm like sitting here like, frick, does this guy still like me? Like, do I got to like <laughs> learn some new moves? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I am on the flip side of that on keeping pleasing my husband. Uh, Ryan and I do not have a lot of sex anymore because of my pain. Uh-huh. And I mean, the shame that I feel around like, I and I don't even necessarily think he's gonna cheat on me because anybody who knows Ryan knows that he would never dare. From multiple perspectives, one, he's too nice and he would never do that to me, and two, mm, I've threatened him in a million different ways. He knows better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like that shame of like I cannot have sex most days because. And this is not TMI because we're talking about sex, but if I orgasm, I it's an incredible burst of pain. What the oh, fuck? Yeah. Like because yeah, of nerves. nerves right. Pain. And I know <laughs> it's like a huge studying point for me because there are ways where uh, you can orgasm without tension or some bullshit, right? Not bullshit, but yeah. something. Um, so I got to do more research, but it's also, I don't, because of the like bodily trauma that this pain causes, I just have no desire for sex. And it's a bummer for Ryan. And it's a bummer for me because I do, I did enjoy having sex. Hence why I was a hoe in college, quote unquote, hoe, <laughs> a wholesome hoe. But I mean, I have all that church trauma saying like, mm, he's going to leave you or in COVID I've gained all of, uh, maybe eight to 10 pounds. And I'm like, mm, I have those moments of, mm, if you get too big, he's going to leave you. And I'll, immediately I'm like, mm, fuck that. But still, like, I should not even have those fleeting thoughts at all. Like that's so unfair to women of all denominations and societal whatever just to have to like even wrestle with those facts because they've been so implemented in our heads yeah i have so much to say i mean why it's the woman the woman's you know obligation expectation to keep the man interested i mean i remember going to the mall with my friends in high school And we were at a lingerie store and they were all like trying stuff on and asking me like, do you think he'll like think I'm sexy in this? And I was like, dude, do you feel sexy in that? Like, isn't that what matters at the end of the day? So yeah, and I think when you do, when you are in a vulnerable, like a relationship, an intimate relationship, like you have to have these conversations and these vulnerable conversations and you know, check where, where you're at in your belief systems and where those things come from. I mean, I have so many expectations I put on myself and insecurities and you, I have to ask myself, like, where do those come from? And a lot of it, it comes from the media. I mean, where do we get our presentation of what sex should look like? And I've had to break 
a lot of that of like this is what sex has to look like and why do I think that I mean a lot of it comes from the church a lot of it might come from you know like gay culture maybe you know ideas of what you have to do as a gay woman these expectations of oh this is what I have to do to be gay like no like sex can look like however you want it to look like and there's other ways of being intimate I mean it is an ironic experience if you wait to have sex and then once you're actually married you can't have sex all that often I mean for myself sex can bring up a lot of anxiety so yeah there's I have a similar experience Josie and I wondered if your pain ever impacted it of like yeah we both have stuff going on with our mental health that impacts our sex life so what else does intimacy look like to us and sex doesn't have to look a certain way you know ever exactly and Ryan's got hands he can take care of him fucking self that's none of my business (laughs) I think that that brings up the like just the idea of like well sex can look different or intimacy looks different because um I was taught my whole life that men just wanted sex all day every day and so I thought well like well that's cool because same um and then (laughs) (laughs) I get married and come to find out that hey like not every man wants to have sex all the time like that's natural and so to have a partner that has a lower sex drive than me and my love language is physical touch so that added a whole other layer of okay like how do we balance this how as a married couple do we find intimacy do we find physical touch that isn't the traditional sex it isn't intercourse you know and so finding things of like setting a routine of like um it literally could be as simple as like sometimes jack rubs my feet before I go to bed and for me I'm like cool like I'm getting physical touch this is an intimate moment like we he sits at the end of the bed while I lay in bed and he just talks to me about his day you know and it's something that I'm like okay we're connecting in a way that my needs are met and this doesn't it's not a sexual act but I'm still satisfied in the same way because I'm getting what I truly desire I'm getting physical touch I'm getting an intimate moment with my husband And, you know, there are other times where, like, I, for a long time, felt guilty of telling him no, because I think, like, it's, like, the balance of, like, I am, like, oh, yeah, like, I want to have sex, and he says no, and that sucks, but we have other ways. So then when he is, like, oh, I want to have sex, and then I'm, like, oh, like, no thanks, then it's, like, well, now I feel guilty, like, because of this weird, like, balance of, I don't know, like I said, like the church being like, you have to be ready and willing and your husband's going to want it. Like, I don't know. It's just really layered. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think God made sex and I think we should do it whenever we want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or not, you know, sex is for anybody who is listening, who may be a virgin sex is cool but it's like not that cool it gets old but I I also think too though like I I don't just feel like I was never taught enough to appreciate it for what it is you know I think I 
it was like I taught that it was dirty and then I was also taught that it's like utility because like babies and then you're also taught again utility because like keeping your marriage alive like was like oh you gotta like have great sex and all this and now I'm like I'm realizing that again like me being at home in my body like me being at home with like what makes me like what makes me like brings me like sexual pleasure like those aren't again like those aren't dirty things and realizing that God says like, this is, this is okay. This is good. Like, this is how I made you like that has been so freeing because now like I, I see it for so many different things and not just like babies or because your husband wants it. And again, I think there's like these expectations versus realities versus like when I was in high school, like before I became sexually active, I had these expectations that like, oh my gosh, like it's going to be so important. And like, it'll be like how, um, my, again, like how my husband like wants to stay in her marriage, yada, yada. And then the reality of being like, Hey, sometimes this sucks and nobody talks about it. Or even these expectations of like, I don't know. I just think like, especially like in pop culture, like playing up like the wedding night or exactly what Caitlin's saying, like playing up lingerie, like you have these expectations that you're going to be wearing this super sultry outfit and there's going to be candles <laughs> and music and all this stuff. And the reality is we're sitting on the couch and he kind of looks at me and I look at him and we're like, okay, cool. Like, let's go to the bedroom. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, and all these expectations are also so heteronormative, right? Like, yes, thank you, babies, uh, well, your husband. It's all all the church is so heteronormative. So, so, like, Caitlin, do you? I you mentioned like there's like um like queer culture has these expectations. As far as the church expectations, because you're married to a woman, does mm-hmm. is that freeing? Of like, you don't have this expectation of I have to have sex to keep my wife. Is it freeing? I mean, like, is yeah, it, I, I guess, think... is it less of like something to think about, like in the back of your head? Yeah, I don't think I've ever had to feel like we have to keep sex to keep my wife or to <laughs> we to keep my wife. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's because I feel like I've had a higher sex drive at points or if it's just because I mean, the nature of our relationship. I mean, I was, I was new. I was friends with my wife for three years before we started dating. Like she was my best friend Mm -hmm. and roommate. So, um, there's never really been that expectation. Um, I know that she thinks I'm sexy if I haven't showered for like five days and I'm in my, you know, fleece matching pajama set that says like, I love weekends. Like, um, so I don't think I've ever felt like I have to do these certain things um, to keep her around. I think maybe in the beginning of our relationship, I had some insecurities just because I was the first woman she'd ever been with. Um, But no, I don't think I've ever felt like I had to perform a certain way to keep her around. I mean, one thing I've had to unpack is this notion that like, like both people have to orgasm like every time during sex for it mm. to be worthwhile or like that pressure of yeah. someone um, orgasming every time. So that's something that I'm 
you know, kind of letting go of and deconstructing, as we say. Um, yeah, I think, uh, do you think because, like, as women, it's just harder for us to reach orgasm? Do you think it's, uh, like, well, I guess I'm asking, like, does your, like, if you don't orgasm, does your wife feel the sense of guilt that, like, oh, like, you didn't, you didn't reach it? Like, because I know that men can feel that a lot. Women think, feel that a lot, too. Well, yeah. men. I don't think I really have the issue of not orgasming. So, all right, either. lucky you. That's like, that's another lesbian stereotype, though, that like women can orgasm multiple times. So, that's something that's said in like, you know, lesbian culture of <laughs> we can orgasm multiple times. And I mean, the, the clitoris has like 8,000 nerve endings. That's probably why it hurts Josie so bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've never heard that insecurity or expectation um, from her. That's so nice. <laughs> I, think that's, Sorry. That's, I mean I mean that's just something that like I feel like society has like like I guess this is oh finally something where I'm like I'm like men have never felt the like oppression of purity culture men get insecure when they can't make women come so maybe that's, that's something that's a negative of purity culture that men experience that's so yeah. funny that you say that because I've never had that experience as a dude they've just been like Oh, well, well you've been with you. the wrong kind of people. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Ryan, Ryan doesn't, but it's just like, they don't have that expectation, right? They weren't raised, a lot of men weren't raised with the expectation of having to make the woman um, climax. It's mostly the other way around. I think, uh, well, this is something then like, praise God for my husband's friends, because I think because like, he was like the last one of them to be a virgin, like, like he, so many, like, he'll tell me like, so many of them are like, yeah, like, like focus on her, like focus on what she wants, like, or what will like make the experience meaningful for her. And so like, I understand that I am blessed and that is, I'm spoiled by that. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're right, Josie. They're like, it's like a product of like the, of our society that men like, like sex is for men almost like they will get all of the pleasure out of it. It's made for them because again, it feeds into this, like of purity culture and growing up in the church of, sex is utility for women you use it to keep your husband and have babies and if you get something else out of it good for you but that's not you know that's what what it's for yeah uh the last thing i'll say on today's episode um is fuck that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i hate that so much um i just feel like this is so drenched in you know, all the stuff, everything else problematic is drenched in just gender norms and homophobia and transphobia and white supremacy and diet culture and ableism. So, yeah. Um, Can I ask, Kaylin, can I ask you one more question? Oh, yes. Ask away. Okay. So one thing that I had written down of the notes of just like LGBTQ stigma when it comes to like sex ed, especially in the church as Mm -hmm. like, um, obviously it's different than if you were like a gay man, but like as a gay woman, like, do you feel like 
do you feel like you were done like a disservice by like whether it be like like public I don't know if you went to public school or whatever but like the school system sex ed or the church sex ed like however you received that do you feel like there was just like a disservice because queer communities weren't highlighted in that oh yeah for sure um I did go to public school and I think I actually took sex ed like three times because of moving around and that was something that was never represented. Um, I mean, I hope that's something that is being worked on. And I feel like on certain platforms, I've seen that that's being tried to change. Um, I hope to be a teacher one day. So that's something I would definitely integrate. But yeah, that was not something I was talked to about. I mean, luckily, I had a mother and a family that was very open about sex. And I have a mom that is also within the LGBTQ community. So I had the opportunity to ask all the questions I ever wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I never had the pressure of, you know, you have to wait till marriage. All my mom said to me is just know that once you have sex with someone, like that's going to change your relationship with them and it will be different. And you'll have like a more described as like a soul tie, mm -hmm. but uh, that wasn't something that I got in school and most certainly not in church you know that was not talked about you you can't you can't have sex if you're gay in the in when I went to church so yeah and that is uh, gonna change oh this podcast we're gonna change the world <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and talking to us um about sex 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 Vaginas and penises. Um, thank you so much. Uh, now is the time where you plug whatever you want to plug, your social media, somebody else's social media. Tell us whatever you want. I mean, yeah, I'll definitely... There's someone named Carson. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Tuller that's on IG. Um, just his name is his handle. And he's a gay disabled man. And... His highlights on sex and disability are really kind of what ignited this, like reignited this passion in me. Um, his conversation about our beliefs that sex have to look a certain way are so rooted in ableism. So I would definitely check him out. Um, How do you spell his name? I, I found it. It's uh, Carson underscore T-U-E-L-L-E-R. Got it. Thanks. Yeah, I would definitely check him out. Um, I also say just just follow, make sure that your Instagram, your social media, any feed you have is diverse. Follow people of color, follow trans people, follow fat women, like follow, follow everyone, follow non-binary people, like expand your worldviews and get rid of all of this bullshit that's been fed to us of why everything needs to look a certain way um i'm not super active on social media i hope to change that this year so my instagram's at katie tastic c-a-i-t-i-e-t-a-s-t-i-c you can see a lot of photos that josephine took <laughs> on there <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> that's the only social media platform i'm active on no twitter for this bitch so it's toxic don't get on there but i love it um, well, Spencer, tell the people how they can find us. 
They can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. They can find us on Twitter at Speaking Church. And feel free to email us at Speaking in Church, uh, Speaking in Church at gmail.com. And if you need any recommendations on cool people to follow, let us know. We all have a bunch of people we love to be inspired by. Um, and you can find Spencer and I on Instagram at Josie Takes the World and Spence Rose. We look forward to having you, fighting with you, whatever. If you want to come on the podcast, let us know. Otherwise, stay woke or get woke. Jesus loves you. Bye.